Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Learning how to manage money isn't something we get taught at school. Instead, it's a skill we pick up throughout our lives, learning from our mistakes. My guest today, Rosie, emailed Money Clinic asking for help with a problem that many of us struggle with. I have been successful at creating a budget, but I'm having trouble sticking to it. Is it that I am bad at managing money or is it simply that I need to make more of it to achieve a certain lifestyle? Rosie wants to know, how can she improve her money mindset and untangle her relationship with her finances. How can I get out of the cycle of emotional spending and then feeling bad for the rest of the month whilst I wait for the next paycheck to right my wrong? Getting the numbers to add up is one thing, but as you're about to hear, managing our emotions around money is entirely another. Welcome to Money Clinic, the weekly podcast from the Financial Times dedicated to tackling real-life financial issues. I'm Claire Barrett, the FT's Consumer Editor. Today's show is full of budgeting tips with a twist. Keep listening to hear why Tim Harford, the FT's undercover economist, thinks we should all stop blowing our budgets buying gifts. Gifts are a bad idea. Economists are thoroughly against gifts of all descriptions. And Ellie Austin Williams, better known online as This Girl Talks Money, is keen for Rosie to focus on her good money habits. If Rosie stepped back and looked at where she was maybe 10 years ago and where she is now, she'd have been thrilled to be in the position that she is in. All will be revealed later. But first, back to today's guest. 34-year-old Rosie grew up in Zimbabwe, moving to the UK with her family at the age of 15 to escape the nightmare of hyperinflation and plummeting currency values, which meant that money in the bank today could be worthless by tomorrow. It had a big impact on Rosie's early money memories. I never felt the stress of it myself. I was always provided for, and maybe I was too shielded in that sense. So then when it came to my own money planning, I was a bit lost. It was very much day-to-day, month-to-month, because my fundamental belief was there's more where it comes from. Qualifying as a project manager in the UK, Rosie was earning good money after she graduated, but it's only recently that she's started trying to take a less short-term approach. I thought, of course, if you have a job and it's well-paying, then life is made. And I was shocked, disappointed, felt a bit of a failure. 
that what I was earning was not buying me the lifestyle that I wanted. That wasn't the only time I heard the F word, failure, during our conversation. I hadn't realised things like ISAs, savings, long-term planning. If you want to help your children out in the future, you need to start now. So now I guess my attitude is more, how can I make the most of what I have? More the psychology of it rather than the day-to-day tools. So Rosie tried to impose some discipline by setting herself a budget. So one day I say to myself, well, I use spreadsheets at work every day. Why don't I sit down and just write down what my outgoings are? Having interrogated her spending, Rosie uses digital banking apps to manage her cash, putting money aside for investments, savings and short-term goals like holidays and birthdays. I am sometimes tempted to drill down even more because this is where I struggle. I find myself at the end of every month, despite what I've written down, negative, on average, £30. So my bank balance is not actually negative but my plan is negative. Well, it doesn't sound like it's negative by very much. Um, so, so, so that's a good thing. Honestly, mine, mine can sometimes be over by much more than that. But the actuals don't always match the projected. So with food, well, groceries, shall I call it, that was a big shocker for me. And some months it would be like nearly £600 if I include meals out. Rosie enforced a monthly limit of £400 by setting up a digital bank account solely for buying food. We have what we call the grocery card and either my husband or I have one. So if there's a little bit left over from this month, then maybe next month we can splurge a bit. Great idea. So where does Rosie feel her budget is still going wrong? The ones that I know for sure are what I call my emotional spends. Okay. So maybe if I am looking at Instagram and following someone and they have something that I really like in their home and I'm like, oh, I really like this. That's a good idea. Want to do it and want to do it now. Mm. And as soon as my husband, this is his line, do we need this? Then I'm triggered as well. Of course we need it. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, I can imagine how annoying that would be. doesn't matter if we need it or not. I want it. So I'm going to get it. Even though I know it's not going to end well. Have you ever bought something online and then returned it? Lots of times, especially during lockdown where I was all online shopping. I just buy things and send them back. (laughs) So there's always that remorse of, oh, you've lost money, but maybe at least you've managed to claw some back. Buying gifts is another area where Rosie regularly blows the budget. It's something for my child or it's a month with four birthdays of loved ones. How can I possibly get them this cheap gift? No, let me get them this one. And the budget is blown. I know this is not going to end well, but I'm doing it anyway. Mm. Why do I still go ahead and do it? All of us have made mistakes with money, even me. So what is causing those negative thoughts to dominate? Rosie told me about how she had learned some financial lessons the hard way. When I fell pregnant, I had no idea about even maternity pay and childcare costs. So the first shock was when I sat down with HR representative and they say, this is how much the statutory maternity pay is. I think it was around £138 a week. 
That was a shock. Rosie also didn't know about the government's tax-free childcare accounts, which cost her money. And a company pension is another area where she harbours regrets. I felt my resources were competing for a lot of things. So mm. there is wedding, there is baby, and pension just seems really far off into the future. So it's like, mm, yeah, I'll put the minimum into that, that I have to. You can check out the links in today's show notes for previous Money Clinic episodes, Will Having a Baby Break My Finances, and Help, I Need to Sort Out My Pensions. Even so, I found it troubling that Rosie was still finding it hard to move on when she's done so many things right. Today, she's paying more into her pension. She owns a property with her partner. She started Stocks and Shares ISIS for herself and her son, and she saves into those every month. And while she might spend a little bit more than she wants to, she's not in debt. It makes me sad that you have so many negative feelings about managing your money when you're doing so many positive things, clearly, to try and address that. It's all these little things that you just don't know, this game, as I call it, that I didn't even know was there to be playing it. Is it that I'm not so great at this? Or is this just the way things are? And although Rosie's partner is good with money, this actually makes her feel worse. I would say I'm the spender, he's the saver. He always has a healthy balance. Mine is always running close to zero by the end of the month. So <laughs> adding to that layer was sort of the shame of, uh, if he's doing it so well, if I can't do it, then that must be a failure. Hmm. It felt to me that those early money memories of living day to day were still haunting Rosie's financial habits. I wondered how else this might be holding her back. When was the last time you had a pay rise? 2019. Okay, so yeah. potentially scope to go in and ask for another one soon then. Yes, don't know how to do that. but <laughs> By now, I was on a mission to help Rosie reimagine her relationship with money and I had just the expert in mind to help me with the task. Tim Harford is the FT's undercover economist, radio presenter, podcaster and author of the book How to Make the World Add Up. His speciality is behavioural economics. So what did he think was influencing Rosie's feelings about money? The basic issue is what economists call hyperbolic discounting. And of course, we have to call it that because otherwise, you know, no one would think we were geeks. <laughs> and what, what hyperbolic discounting basically is, is that you make plans and at the moment when it's time to actually follow through on your plans, they suddenly seem like a bit too much hassle and you resolve to do it tomorrow. So whether the plans are to do exercise or to not eat ice cream or to put money aside, it's this idea that it's always going to be easier to do it tomorrow than to do it right now. I think I might call it the old stuff it impulse. However, we all know it's easier to make plans to change in the future rather than doing so right now. But Tim has lots of ideas about how Rosie and all of us can retrain our brains and some of them go beyond economics. Now, emotional spending is the thing that Rosie says she has the biggest problem with. She'll make all of these plans and budgets and rules for herself to stick to, and then she'll suffer from what she called buyer's remorse. She just can't seem to stop doing it. She needs to push the decisions 
into the future. She's going to be much cooler and more rational and more patient about them. So my suggestion is when she's tempted to buy something to say, oh yeah, great. Um, it's absolutely legitimate that I have this urge to buy. And here's the plan. I have a spreadsheet for things that I wanted to buy. You know how much we love spreadsheets on this podcast. I will write down in the spreadsheet what it was so I won't be anxious about losing it. I can always go back and buy it tomorrow. I will write down the price. And the end of each month, I will go to that spreadsheet and I will look and I will say, which of these do I actually want to buy? On reflection, when I find it extraordinary, I stick things on Amazon wish lists myself. And then I'll, I'll come back a month later and I'll go, why on earth was that on the wish list? The message here is to recognise you're being bombarded by online triggers to spend. Give yourself time and space to consider the purchase and trick yourself into being more rational. Then you can avoid those impulse buys that are destined to be sent back. Tim says other people, not economists obviously, would call this mindfulness. Observing your emotions at the point of purchase. Research suggests that if people are able to stop and think for a moment, they're much better able to discern the truth. Just to observe what the emotion feels like. What does it feel like as I'm hovering over the buy button? Mm. You immediately give yourself a little bit of extra leverage and a bit of distraction from the actual act of buying. Because the fact that you're now noticing yourself having these emotions. And we're going to need to help ourselves as much as we can as lockdowns end and the temptation to spend all that pandemic money we've saved increases. Tim says the key to it is making a plan. The kinds of temptations are going to change, but the strategy for dealing with them is still make a plan in advance for what you're going to say, what you're going to do. It's going to be much easier in the moment for you to run through the plan that you've pre-agreed with yourself. A vague sense of a monthly budget is never going to stop you when somebody says, let's go for coffee together. Mm. You need a plan for how you're going to respond to that invitation and to say, oh, that sounds great, but actually I don't fancy coffee. Why don't we go for a walk instead? What Tim's saying sounds very simple, but having a game plan can really make a difference when it comes to controlling our urge to splurge. As much as I like his advice, one thing I won't be doing is buying him a present for appearing on the podcast. Tim, one other thing that Rosie found it really hard to stop spending too much money on is when you're buying gifts for friends and family, for people who you love and you see something and think, oh, that would just be the perfect thing for them. It's £150, but you know what? I'll get it for them. They deserve it. Well, we economists have been thinking about the deadweight loss of gift giving for a long time and the jury is in. It's a bad idea. Gifts are a bad idea, basically because it is extremely difficult to give a gift that really is perfect for the person. Mm. It's the thought that counts. Well, if it's the thought that counts, why not be more thoughtful and don't worry about spending the £150? And very often it's a thoughtful card, a letter, the gift of some time, mm. maybe a small gift, something that's not terribly expensive. And so, for example, we think that people will value a £50 gift much more than they value a £10 gift. Mm. And it turns out that's not true. And if you reflect yourself, you might actually find a £50 gift rather awkward and embarrassing. So spend less and think more. 
Strong stuff from Tim. I'm sure he wouldn't mind if you gifted a friend a copy of his book, which is out in paperback this week. The next expert I wanted to sound out was Ellie Austin-Williams, better known by her blogging and money coaching alias, This Girl Talks Money. She's used to talking to people about their money and says that Rosie is certainly not alone in having negative feelings about her finances. What is quite common actually is that people who are in a relatively good position do still have those negative feelings about money and they have a negative perception of their own situation on their own ability to manage their money well. And it does often come back to early childhood and growing up and your experiences that you've had with money as a young adult. Rosie's habit of buying things online, then suffering from buyer's remorse afterwards, is contributing to those negative feelings. It's the fact that when we buy something, we get that rush that dopamine hit, but it's a very instant feeling and it's not something that lasts. And it's the reason why often by the time that you get the item a day or two later, that you you regret it. You have that buyer's remorse, as Rosie mentioned. Now, there's a phrase that you'll hear quite a lot in the personal finance world, the money mindset. Ellie believes if Rosie can spend some time exploring hers, she will be able to break these negative habits. Money mindset is about your relationship with money. It's about the emotional connection that you have Mm. with money and how you relate to it, not on a practical level, but on that deeper level. It's the feelings that it invokes in you and whether you feel positively about it or negatively towards it. And a lot of us aren't even aware that we have this relationship with money, but we all do have one. And Often, it's a bit of work it requires to actually kind of start to uncover it. Mm. Where should people start when it comes to working out what their particular money mindset is? Start becoming aware of your own emotions, your own actions, your own behaviours around spending money. You can take 10 minutes and jot down in the notebook how you feel about money. Ask yourself questions like, what? did I think of money when I was growing up? What were the messages that I was told about money? How did my parents or my caregivers behave around money? Was money something positive or was money something negative? Having explored what could be triggering your reactions, Ellie suggests that Rosie should practice being more mindful, sorry Tim, about her spending. So when you're at that checkout, maybe pause and just ask yourself, what's driving this? Is it a necessity? Is it a want to reward yourself? And this isn't at all to stop you from spending. Ultimately, you will always have to spend money on some things. It's about building that awareness of why you're spending and whether you're spending from a good positive place or whether you're spending from a negative place. Well, I'll share with you what my biggest weakness is. It's discounts. (laughs) So if I was to go on an online store or see an advert come up on my social feed or whatever saying, you know, this coat is £60, I would probably think "Mm, quite a lot of money for a coat. If I saw that it had been reduced from 120 to £60, then all of a sudden I'd be like, oh, my God, I've got to put that in my (laughs) basket. And I find it really hard to resist this, even though I know this is a ploy that the retailers use to get us to buy more stuff. Yeah, it's really tricky. And 
you're spot on. The e-commerce companies know what they're doing. And what I encourage people to do here is to remove those visual triggers as much as possible where you can. If you know that you have a weakness for certain brands who often do promotions, and again, you know, I put my hands up, I'm very much guilty of this, but if you can reduce the amount of contact that you have with those brands, and it's not possible to totally do that, you know, there are banner adverts on your emails, but unsubscribing to marketing emails, putting your marketing emails into a different inbox, setting up a separate account so that they're not front of mind when you click on your inbox. Because ultimately, you know that if you go on the website, you can find those deals, you can find those items if you want to look for them. But that requires more from you in terms of effort going and finding that website. That is a great tip. But as well as dealing with her bad money habits, I also wanted to ask Ellie about how Rosie could celebrate her many good ones. I imagine that if Rosie stepped back and looked at where she was maybe 10 years ago and where she is now, she'd have been thrilled to be in the position that she is in. But we're not very good at doing that as humans at all in any aspect of our lives. I think when she starts to appreciate how far she has come and the positive aspects of her financial situation, then it might encourage her herself as well to keep pushing forward, but also not to be as hard on herself for spending money sometimes spontaneously. We both think if Rosie recognises in her monthly budgeting sessions that she's now saved this much in total into her pension and this much into her ISAs, she will recognise the great habits she's building. It doesn't have to be that Rosie is aiming for this relationship with money where she feels brilliant all the time about her finances, but it's about getting rid of that shame and having a more neutral relationship with money, having a view of money as simply a tool which is there to facilitate and to make her life easier, to build her future and her child and her family's future. And I feel like at the moment, money feels like it's this heavy burden on Rosie and hopefully that weight can start to be lifted. Having heard what the experts had to say, I was keen to find out how Rosie's money mindset might have adjusted. I really liked what they both had to say and I think the key message that I took from it is that I need to do a bit of brain retraining Mm. and stepping back. I really enjoyed the tip about pushing my spending to the end of the month. So I've made a note to myself to push fluff buying into the future. I love it. Push buying a fluff into the future. Yes. Brilliant. (laughs) I also like Tim's tip about having a game plan away from the spreadsheet. What else do I need to do? Yeah. And kind of thinking about the temptation before it arises, I suppose, is one of the key things. Tim also had quite a downer on gift giving. Has that changed your views? That has changed my views and thinking about a game plan. I also thought what I tend to do sometimes is to ask family and friends, what's on your wish list? Mm. By doing that, sometimes I think I then give away control of how much I'm going to spend. So if I just put more thought into it, as he suggested, then I can decide and give them a thoughtful gift. And then the thought as well is a gift to them. They haven't had to say, this is what I want or had to think about it in some cases. 
Now, what did you think of Ellie's suggestion that you should invest some time exploring your money mindset? I found it really interesting. Um, as she suggested, I think I'm going to take an emotional inventory mm-hmm. of how do I feel when I'm spending, whose voice is in my head when I'm spending, like she mentioned, the messages mm. that we have about money as we're growing up. I realized just as I was listening that I'm very good at analyzing what went wrong, and maybe I should have a sort of tick or a green color or something to celebrate what actually worked out. Well, I think we both agreed that you definitely need to celebrate what you're doing right rather than focus on what you're doing wrong. And like yes. I would suggest when you look at your actuals of your budget every month, maybe not every single month, maybe every quarter, mm-hmm. just say, well, this is how much I've saved now in total into my pension or into my ISA or into my son's junior ISA yes. and see how much that money has grown because that is a really, really big part of what you are doing with your budgeting. Yes, I think that will be really good to look at it, not just as a tick next thing, but to actually sit in it and say, wow, yeah, did that. That's good. Well done. Now, one of the things that I'm really hoping that you'll do as a result of coming on the podcast with me is ask your boss for a pay rise. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Are you going to do that now? I am going to learn how to do that and do it. I'm going to attempt. Good. Well, I really think that you should and come up with reasons in writing before you go in and ask to make it less scary. So you've got things to refer back to. But I really believe that having confidence with these areas of your financial life that we've talked about within the budget, if you can build the confidence there, then you can build the confidence elsewhere by asking that they pay you what you're worth. Yes. And learning a new way of life. I was talking to someone where we were discussing how long-term financial planning is something that doesn't come naturally because until two generations ago, my family wouldn't have been in formal employment. Mm. They were subsistence farmers and it was season to season to season. So I think mentally for me, what's happened is my season has become a month. Mm. So if I don't achieve what I want to achieve within that month, it's almost like my whole year's harvest has failed and I have failed my family. So I think this is where some of the emotion comes from. Mm, That's really interesting. So it's really now realizing that I am not in that environment. Slowly but surely is okay. The end of the month is not a defining moment, if that makes sense. Wow. It sounds like lots of positive things have come out of our discussion, which I'm really glad about because I was really worried about how many (laughs) negative thoughts you seem to have for somebody who really is doing very well compared to the average person. No, thank you. Thank you very much. I just wondered if there were others like me and it's good to hear from Ellie that, you know, I'm not the only one and I hope that this will help them too. it for Money Clinic with me, Claire Barrett, this week, and we hope you like what you've heard. If you did, spread the word and leave us a review. And if you would like to chat with me on a future episode of the show, then email me. Our address is money at ft.com. You could also take a peek at our website, ft.com slash money, grab a copy of the FT Weekend newspaper, or follow me on Instagram at Claire B. 
Money Clinic was produced in London by Josh Delamere and Persis Love. Our sound engineer is Breen Turner and the original music is by Metaphor Music. And finally, the Money Clinic podcast is a general discussion around financial topics and does not constitute an investment recommendation or individual financial advice. For that, you'll need to find an independent financial advisor. That's the small print over and done with. See you back here next week. Goodbye. The latest episode of The Next Five podcast is all about AI and the business travel sector. I speak to Tim LaBelle, head of product for SAP Concur Spend Solutions. We'll have so much data that our travel will be safer. Shelley Fletcher-Bryant, VP of Advito. AI can certainly contribute to more eco-friendly travel practices. And author and public speaker, Theo Lau. AI can help us predict when it will be a peak travel, more delays, cancelled flights. Listen to the full episode of The Next Five wherever you get your podcasts. Enjoy.